2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I, uh, I have a nephew. I have a, a nephew, and I, I love him very, very much. He was uh, born in May last year. Uh, and I can remember the very first time I went to meet my nephew. Uh, he was uh, born down in High Wycombe, that's where my sister and her husband lives. Uh, and two weeks after he was born, I, I got on the train and I, I went down into London, then came back out of London. And I, I remember walking to my sister's car, opening the door and seeing in there Reuben, fast asleep and covered in sick. Now, if I slept like that, Alice would get very, very mad, but, but there was something about seeing Reuben like that that made me fall immediately in love with him. He was so calm and so peaceful and so gentle. And we uh, immediately uh, drove to a, a local coffee shop and we got him out of the car and we tried to clean him up a little bit and then I held him for the first time. He's the, um, the first of the next generation of the Green family, and he is so beautiful, and he has uh, little fat cheeks that you can stroke with your hands, and any time you want, he'll bawl and scream and be sick on you as well, if that's what you, you like, but he was absolutely beautiful. I loved Reuben from the moment that I saw him. There was a, a beauty in that newly born baby. A couple of weeks ago, Reuben turned one years old. Now, I, I loved Reuben when he was first born. Hear me right when I say that. I loved Reuben when he was first born. But there is something incredible about a child who is one years old. See, when Reuben was uh, just born, he had, a, he had a bold head. And now, uh, this baby looked great with a, a bold head. But now at one, he has almost a full head of hair. He looks spectacular and regal with his full head of hair. He used to just sit there placidly and kind of 
be like a baby and do not a lot, but now he can walk, well, almost walk, kind of. He can crawl. He's starting to make noises. He, um, he kind of almost unwrapped his birthday presents, which I'm sure he fully appreciated. <laughs> we, uh, we took him uh, away for the day uh, to a, a petting farm, which was overwhelmingly for our benefit, because at one years old, you cannot appreciate different types of sheep, can you? That's a, a nuance that's beyond me as well. But that's what we decided we were going to do. So we took him to the, the petting farm. And I've never seen anyone be as excited about a tractor that's had the wheels taken off it so it can't move anywhere as Reuben was to sit and look vaguely proud in his tractor. See, Reuben, uh, just born, was beautiful and I loved him, but Reuben, at one years old, has a whole other kind of glory. Uh, This morning, Paul is talking about going from one state of glory to the next. And he's saying that the old, the previous way of doing things had a glory, it had a, a majesty, a power, and a beauty of it. But you should see the new thing that's come. You should see the new way of doing, the new way of relating, the new way of connecting with God, because that has a glory all of its own that makes the old look like a passing shadow. I loved Reuben immediately after he was born, but I would say I love him so much more now he can do stuff. I met a two-year-old three weeks ago, and it seems like two-year-olds are uniquely selfish. So I'm expecting my relationship with Reuben to maybe take a short dive until he turns four, and then maybe we'll go up again. But Reuben at two seems to have a glory and a beauty all of his own. Uh, Paul this morning is talking about the old glory, about the old way of connecting and relating to God. And he says there is a a glory and a majesty and a power of that way of relating to God. But, But he says that that way of relating brings with it condemnation. That old covenant, that old relationship brought with it condemnation. And he says that Jesus came and he he didn't dismiss and disregard the old, but he lived through it, fulfilled it, and now he extends it into the new. And this new way of relating to God, this new glory, it will never fade. And it doesn't bring condemnation, but it brings righteousness. And when you receive that righteousness, it's like a veil is lifted from your eyes and you can see God and the world for how it truly is. Uh, When that veil is lifted, you are transformed. You're transformed more and more to bear the image of God. Hebrews uh, 1 verse 3 says that uh, the Son is the perfect representation of the Father. Uh, We start to look more and more like Jesus uh, as we gaze on God. So this morning, we're going to explore the old. We're going to spend a good amount of time talking about the old way of doing things and the the story that Paul is referencing in this letter. And then we're going to move on to talk about the new glory that God is doing and the way that that changes the way that we live. So we're going to go old, new, and then the way that changes how we live. So Paul starts off our passage this morning with these words. He says, now... If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steady at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Uh, Paul begins by talking about Moses, uh, about the old way of doing and relating to God. 
Uh, Moses uh, is one of the uh, preeminent figures in the Old Testament. Uh, He's the one that uh, led the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. And that act, that moment, is perhaps the defining moment in the whole of the Old Testament. That's the moment that the the story of Israel pivots and it shifts and it changes. Uh, And Jews would have regarded that as the defining moment in their history. And so Paul this morning goes back to that old covenant, that old relationship, and he talks about the moment where everything pivots. And he talks about uh, the rules and the law that God gave to Moses. Uh, Paul takes us right back to the start, uh, and he talks about the glory of that time, uh, the glory of that covenant, of that relationship. Often we want to diminish and dismiss the thing that came before. Uh, We want to say that it was uh, an inferior version. We say that it it is nowhere near as uh, good or as impressive, and we uh, denigrate it, and we criticize it, and we caricature it. But but Paul doesn't do that here this morning. Uh, Paul talks about the glory of the old way, the old ministry, the old way of relating to God's. And as he uh, does it, he's referencing Exodus 24, uh, verses 29 to 35, and it says, uh, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, And he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed that veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. So Moses went up a mountain, and he was transformed. Uh, He spent time in the the glory and the radiance of God, and there was a physical transformation in Moses. Uh, He, uh, in some way, received something of the glory of God in his physical person, but it was a glory that faded and passed. Uh, But alongside uh, that expression of the glory of God, Moses is also given the Ten Commandments. Uh, the ten uh, foundational laws of the Jewish faith. Now, to you and me, um, maybe the the laws that God gives sound a little bit obvious and a little bit trite, uh, and it's hard for us sometimes to to get beyond the initial uh, skim reading of them. Uh, But these uh, laws, these ten commandments, were absolutely pivotal to the Jewish faith, and there's a, a depth and a beauty to us that we often miss. You see, uh, these uh, people, the Israelites, uh, had only ever known how to be slaves. Uh, That's all they'd known. That's all their parents had known. That's all their grandparents had known. That's all their children had known. Everything in living memory uh, was about how to live as a slave. That's all that they knew. Uh, And suddenly, uh, they're taken from slavery into freedom, uh, and they need to learn a new way of living. Uh, Maybe you've been in a a work situation and there is a very particular way of doing things, a particular way of filling out the form, of uh, doing that assignment, working on that project. Um, Here, it's it's not a fantastic example because obviously I'm not a slave, but um, (laughs) 
here at P's, it's borderline, isn't it? I know. But here at, here at P's and G's, I have learned a particular way of living and working. And now when we uh, change context, we have to learn a new way of living and working because the thing that we learn in that other place, it doesn't quite seem to fit here anymore. Uh, For the Israelites, they were going from slavery to freedom, and they need to learn how to live in a new way. They need to learn a new way of expressing their humanity. And so uh, Moses meets with God, and and these are the words that God says to Moses just uh, just before they receive the Ten Commandments. Uh, Moses, uh, God says to Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Uh, Before they receive the Ten Commandments, God asserts his identity as the one who makes slaves free. God says, I am the one who makes slaves free. The whole of the Ten Commandments are about teaching slaves to be free about uh, revealing to them that your old way of living, your old way of engaging with the world will no longer work because you're not slaves. And I'm the God who makes slaves free. And he's the one who's going to teach the Israelites how to live in this new way. See, that the Ten Commandments don't just uh, reveal to the Israelites the way they're meant to live, but they reveal the kind of God that they're living under now. The kind of God that doesn't bring chains and oppression He's not binding them up and telling them and dictating to them everything, but he's saying, I am making you free. And if we're going to relate now as free people, then we're going to need to start to learn to live differently. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods but me. Back in Egypt, where the Israelites used to live, the Pharaoh, the king, was a god. He was regarded as a god, as a deity. So the Israelites' understanding of God was as someone who enslaved them, uh, who put uh, chains around their ankles, who got them to make bricks and build houses, who violated their own will, who made them less than human. That was their understanding and their relationship with God. And God's saying, uh, we need to learn a new way of relating because I'm not like any other gods. I'm not like a pharaoh who makes you a slave. I'm the one who makes slaves free. And so if we're going to relate in this new way, then you need to not bow the knee before anyone else other than me. And then he says, don't even try and make an idol out of me. Don't reduce me to wood or to bronze or to stone because I'm far greater and I'm limitless. I am eternal and infinite. You can't reduce me to some model. God is asserting the kind of God that he is and the kind of relationship that he wants with his people. One not about oppression and slavery, but about freedom and grace and truth. And as God asserts that, he then teaches them the way in which they need to live. See, because they've learned an old conduct that worked when they were slaves in a place where there was scarcity and there was lack. But now God's saying there is a limitless, limitlessness to who I am. And your life is going to be better, and our relationship will be better if you don't steal from each other, if you don't kill. Our relationship will be better, and your life will be better if you're not always trying to steal each other's wives. God is asserting to them a better way of living. God is teaching slaves to be free. 
See, there's a glory in the old, isn't there? It's not dead, it's not stagnant, it's not static. But that old way of connecting with God, I find that um, in a, as I uh, think about it and talk about it, I discover something of myself in it as well. See, because I, I recognize, like the Israelites, I have times where I try and live like a slave, times where I try and go back to my old way of doing, my old way of being. I, I live my life uh, differently to the way God is calling me to, and I have to learn how to live freely as well. Uh, There's a glory in the old. And Paul isn't diminishing that this morning. He's not diminishing uh, the move from slavery to freedom that the Israelites went under as we all undergo that ourselves. But Paul says, says, if if you thought the old was glorious, if you thought the old was glorious, well, that led to condemnation, you should see the glory of the new thing that I'm doing. The glory that leads to righteousness, not condemnation, that's like having a veil lifted off your eyes and means that you can see God. Paul shifts from talking about uh, the old glory to the new, from talking about control to grace. He says uh, these words. He says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory which lasts? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brought righteousness? Uh, The old covenant, the old way of doing things, brought with it 613 laws. 613 laws. I can barely keep the first 10 that we read about, but they were given 613 laws. That's 613 ways to not quite meet the mark, to not quite measure up. When I was uh, growing up at home, we had lots and lots and lots of rules, and there was no way I could keep all of them. I could not put my towel in the right place. I can barely put my pants in the washing bin. My ability to live by rules in different places is limited. These 613 rules just reminded them that they couldn't quite make it. They couldn't quite be enough. And it brought with it condemnation. And then Jesus came and he lived under all 613 rules. He lived perfectly under the law. And then uh, Paul's going to talk later in this uh, letter in chapter 5, verse 17, that uh, God uh, sent him who knew no sin. He sent Jesus to be sin for us so that we might receive the righteousness of God. God sent him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and me might receive the righteousness of God. He sent Jesus to live perfectly under all 613 rules to live perfectly under the law, to fulfill the law, to die our death, to take our place, and in exchange to give us the righteousness of God, uh, to give us uh, the rightness of relationship with God, the rightness of relationship that was Jesus's. You see, the old way of doing things led to condemnation, to a a recognition that we could never and would never be enough. But Jesus came and he he worked through the old. He didn't disregard it or diminish it, but he worked through it, fulfilled it. And now in the new way of doing things, there is a new glory because that glory is that we receive the righteousness of God. We are now right before God. There's nothing that we could do to earn, to lose, to win to diminish our own righteousness before God. We have received Jesus' 
righteousness. Uh, And then uh, Paul goes on uh, to talk about how that uh, righteousness is like a veil being lifted from our eyes. Uh, He says these words. He says, uh, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil uh, remains when the old covenant is read. However, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Uh, That righteousness, our connection with God, was like a veil was lifted from our hearts. So now we could fully engage and be fully exposed to God. A thing that meant our view and our relationship with God was obscured has now been removed. A thing that brought a division and a separation has gone. And now in this new ministry, in this new covenant, there is a a complete connection with God. Uh, Paul says that it's, it's more than just about the veil being removed. He says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we encounter God with the veil removed, having received his righteousness, we are transformed to look more and more like the God that we meet with, to look more and more like his son, Jesus, who is the perfect representation of God's. Uh, we are being transformed more and more day by day to look like the image of God. And we have a, a church word for some of this, and it's called sanctified. Uh, we have been sanctified. We have been made pleasing and acceptable and holy to God. But alongside that, we are also becoming sanctified. We have been sanctified and we are becoming sanctified. Uh, Our standing before God is that we are fully, holy, acceptable and pleasing to him as we receive Jesus' righteousness. But day by day, we learn to live more and more in the light of that sanctification. On the day that I got married, my legal status changed uh, from being not married to married but I had to learn how to live as a married man. That meant I had to learn how to share the remote control at home. It meant that uh, we couldn't just watch whatever I wanted on Netflix. We had to pick what Alice wanted to watch, which is obviously, she has fantastic taste, obviously, but it's not quite my taste the whole time. Uh, We had to learn uh, that we couldn't always have the radio on in the kitchen because sometimes it's nice for things to be quiet. It meant that I couldn't just use the home as my own personal dumping ground, but that I probably needed to tidy up a little bit more after myself. You see, on the day that I got married, my legal status changed to married, but I had to learn how to live as a married man. Uh, We have to learn how to live as people who have been sanctified by God, as people who have uh, been made righteous through Jesus. I wonder uh, how you're seeing that bear fruit in your life. Uh, How are you being changed and transformed to look more and more like the glory, the image of God? Uh, Are you allowing it uh, to permeate and to change every area of your life? Are you letting it inform all of your decisions? Uh, God uh, isn't calling us to reflect him just in particular areas, but across the whole sweep of our lives. Uh, How are you reflecting the image of God? How are you being transformed to look more and more like him in your relationships at home, with your family, with your friends, if you're still working with your work colleagues? 
how is the image and the glory of God being reflected in your finances, in the way that you um, choose to or don't choose to spend your money, in the ways in which you invest uh, your time, the uh, leisure pursuits that you have? How are you learning to live more and more as someone who reflects the image and the fullness of God wherever you go? See, Paul this morning is saying that there is a glory in the old way of doing things, in uh, slaves learning how to be free. But that old way of doing things, that old ministry led to condemnation. Uh, And there's now a, a new ministry which didn't disregard the old, but came through it and fulfilled it. And that has a glory and a light which will never fade. It will never fade. And that ministry leads not to condemnation, but to righteousness. Uh, And that righteousness, it's a bit like having a a veil lifted off your heart so that you can now see God for who he truly is, who he fully is, kindness, love, grace, mercy. Uh, And as you encounter that love, uh, we are transformed to look more and more like a reflection of who God is. We're transformed to look more and more like Jesus. That's a decision that we have to make every day across every aspect of our life. We have been made righteous, we've been made acceptable, pleasing to God. And every day we have to learn how to live in a way that continues to be acceptable and pleasing to God. Amen.